Hello, my name is Aisha McGowan, also known as a Quick Brown Fox. Welcome to Quick Brown Foxes, a multimedia project where I seek to answer the question of how to get more women of color in cycling by asking women of color how they got into cycling. I would like to thank all of my sponsors and partners, Cannondale, Assess of Switzerland, SRAM, Lake Cycling, Scratch Labs, and Carmichael Training Systems. I would also like to thank all of my patrons on Patreon. If you would like to become one of them, you can find me at patreon.com slash aquickbrownfox. This week, we meet Zara Alabanza, an organizer, a creative, a mom, and so many other wonderful things. She's always been a beacon for me in the black cycling community as she set the amazing example of how to get more people of color on bikes, how to build community, and just have a good time. It is a privilege and an honor to have her as a part of this project. Hey, I'm Zara Alabanza, and I proudly and currently reside in Atlanta and have for maybe the last seven or eight years. Um, and Atlanta is really important to me, one, because it's in the South and it has an amazing, deep-rooted history of Black liberation, um, which is how I see myself with my bike. Uh, which, you know, I'll get into in a little bit, but I am a West Coast girl, um, really an island girl. I grew up in Hawaii um, for the bulk of my life and then spent some years uh, in California. And I've also lived in Florida. So I like the sun and I prefer the water. Uh, I have two children, Cassius and Marley, who are the loves of my lives and also the biggest you know, being a parent and raising children has also been the hardest thing I've ever done. And, you know, every day I'm hoping it gets easier and it hasn't. Um, it just creates new challenges, but I look at, look at them as opportunities to be a better version of myself. Um, I am a lot of different things um, that center my wellness and black wellness in general. So I use biking, yoga, ing, um, <laughs> mentoring, manifesting, playing. What was, what was the third one? It was yoga, yoga ing, and then. Yoga ing, and I, I think I said adventuring. Ah, adventuring, cool. I use those things and playing in the dirt um, as means of wellness for myself and then for the folks that I'm directly connected to in my tribe. And then that stems out to just the Black community on a whole. In that, you know, the world is constantly attacking us. Um, we're always, you know, don't have equal footing. And there are so many ways to fight for our liberation, create our liberation. And the way that I, use, I wish to focus on that is through our wellness, thriving, and joy. Um, and the first tool that I consciously used outside of organizing in a traditional way was riding a bike. Um, so yeah, I have a story of learning to ride a bike that was really fascinating or exciting, and I don't remember that in its totality. I remember always having hand-me-down bikes that I would um, that had coaster brakes, so I would constantly bust the inner tube. It was fun to like skid and do that, um, and I'm sure my, my mom hated it because it cost her money um, that I don't think we actually had, but somehow I always got a new inner tube. 
Uh, but Wait, so when did you start riding bikes? When I was a child. Like, I think it's just a typical child story. Um, yeah, it was fun. So in Hawaii, I think I can remember like being seven and having a, a BMX bike, style bike, not even a real BMX bike, but a BMX style bike. Wait, um, what's the difference? I feel like, isn't BMX like a brand or something? I don't know. But it was, yeah, it was one of those bikes. And maybe it had pegs on it. The funny thing is it had like a cruiser seat on it. It didn't have a traditional saddle. Um, and I'm pretty sure I got made fun of for that too. But it was like, whatever, I have a bike. Either you do or you don't and we ride together or not. Or you're making fun of my seat, whatever. <laughs> but I think biking really became important to me as an adult, uh, as I found it as a tool for my own wellness and liberation. And I believe in 2018, me, I, well, in 20, not 2018, in 2007, I met, I was at a conference, um, a reproductive justice conference, and a woman named Nora Dye had rode her bike there from, fuck, I don't know, somewhere really, really far. She had actually, she had just come off a cross-country bike tour. And I had never heard of anything like that. And I was like, you did what? She was like, yeah, I rode my bike across the country. And I was like, that's amazing. And who does that? And it was like, <laughs> white people do. And I mean, that's what I was about. I was like, you're what? It was just bizarre to me. And But I got really excited because I'd never heard of anyone doing that. I didn't know it was a thing. And it just piqued my imagination. My favorite thing about this moment is that there's a moment like this for everyone in their bike journey where they realize that bikes are more than just a fun thing to do. They can take you on grand adventures or get you to work or whatever you need them to be for the most part. Of course, there's some slight exaggeration in there, but for many, not a whole lot of exaggeration. And I think the best thing about it is that it usually comes from some form of representation where you see somebody else doing something awesome and you're like, dang, I could do that too. And she invited me to do a bike tour from New Orleans to New York. And I tried to figure it out with the job that I had. It was going to be for reproductive justice. It just didn't work out. And we linked up, a bunch of us, including her, linked up at the Obama inauguration in 2008 in D.C. And we planned this bike tour from Eugene, Oregon to San Francisco. So it was nine women, mostly women of color, and I think like two white allies uh, who created something called the Spoken Heart Collective. And we're going to use biking as a tool for educating ourselves around different issues and for creating... Um, community. So it was a traveling community where we were supposed to do all these workshops and just bond with each other and show that you could use biking or just see what biking would be like for us. And most of the women were already riding bikes, had kind of already do, did tours, but none of them had done it to this extent except for Nora. So she came with an expertise. Um, How far is, um, you said Eugene, Oreo to San, Oregon to San Francisco? Yeah. How, it, how far it, is that? It ended up being over 666 miles. Um, I don't remember the exact mileage, but it was a lot. <laughs> uh, and yeah, so we did it. And it came with a lot of learning curves, um, a lot of practicing of our values, a lot of mistakes. I mean, one day we were in the beginning of the Redwoods maybe, 
And I mean, we had made it across state lines and we had to like rent a U-Haul because we weren't going to make the mileage we needed to make to get to where we absolutely needed to be. So we rent a U-Haul somehow, some way, pile a bunch of bikes in the back of it and get to, I think we we're trying to get to Arcata to someone's like aunt's house that we were going to stay with that night. And we did it, you know, and there were days where we also, people were able to opt out because that day somehow was going to look like a century because we didn't meet our mileage before. Um, so my first century was done on a bike tour. <laughs> it wasn't so much the century that was hard, even though it was, it was the day after that I didn't mm. come here. Um, and that bike tour was prior to me inheriting my children. And so I really used it as being an athlete. I was like, yo, if I can do this bike tour, then I'm ready to raise children. That's a lie. But <laughs> I did it for them, I did it to say that mind over matter is really important to me. I did it to prove to myself that I could do hard things. And it was hard. I hadn't previously rode a bike for real, for real, since I was, you know, 13 or something, or whenever children stop riding bikes for the most part. And so the first day I'm like climbing hills and learning how to change gears at the same time. And I fooled myself. I said, oh, I'm athletic. I'm in shape. I can do this. And my ass was handed to me up until about day three. By day three, I was golden. I had it. You know, I remember us climbing, I believe it's called Leggett, but it was this massive mountain that, you know, had switchbacks. You're back and forth. Who knows what the elevation was, but on one side of it, it was 102 degrees, and I'm not exaggerating. We climbed, got to the top, and when we descended, it was foggy and 62. So, <laughs> so it's like you wa you're watching climate, the literally the climate change while you're on your bike. Um, but that tour and Nora and that group of women changed my life. So I went from that bike tour, I think by 20, so that was in 2009 when we finally did it. In 2010, we created a bike tour from Chicago to Detroit for the U.S. Social Forum. So it was the same Spoken Heart Collective, but then a slew of other people. I think we had like a caravan of 40 people. I could be exaggerating, but we had a caravan of folks. We had someone with a different ability. My son came and he, I pulled him on a trailer bike and we over, I think. How old was he at this point? Cassius was five. Um oh which was really funny because he just was on the back of the bike, chilling, looking around. He was of no assistance, but he did it, you know? But yeah, we, I think over four days, went from Chicago to Detroit, showed up on at the U.S. Social Forum as a bike caravan. And it was this, it was a thing there too. Like people weren't used to seeing Black folks and people of color and a mostly woman group um, traverse space and time on a bicycle. And I got bitten, like I got really excited about riding a bike. I was not uh, a commuter. I didn't ride for fun. I did these long distance bike tours. And when I went home to Chicago, I was like, why don't I ride a bike here? And it did never dawn on me to just ride a bike in the city, even though it was a bike friendly city, um, because they have such good public transportation that just didn't make sense to, to me. And um, so I didn't start riding a bike in Chicago after those bike tours, but what I did do was moved to Atlanta. Um, I was burnt out from my work. I was teaching at a university and running a nonprofit at the time. I had just inherited two children at the same time and was like, Chicago is cold. I want to grow food. I want to ride bike and I want to practice yoga. 
I really just wanted to like heal myself and like shift my life. So I moved to Atlanta where I knew I would have a porch. I knew I would have a backyard. Um, I knew that I was going to get certified in yoga and I knew I was going to find a way to grow food. I didn't know. I just figured I would get a bike and ride more. That's not actually how it happened. At the same time that I was moving to to Atlanta, Red Bike and Green was really popping off in in Oakland where it was founded by Jenna Burton. And I wrote, um, in conjunction with another young man, I wrote a proposal to start an Atlanta chapter. I didn't know if there was a process for this. I just knew that I wanted to ride bikes and I wanted to do it with black people. And I'm a, I start things. So it made sense that I like reached out with this proposal and they didn't, Oakland and Jenna didn't necessarily know what to do about that <laughs> process. They were like, we just trying to ride bikes too. Um, so they just let me do what I want to do. Like, yeah, now you're a chapter. Here's all the images. And this is kind of what we do. You have autonomy. And there was a lot of lead up to our inaugural ride, which was in April of maybe 2012. And, um, no outside of Metro Atlanta cycling club, which was a different kind of biking club. Um, they look different than we look, but that was the only like black biking club, even though they're not they don't identify as just being black or for black people. That's who showed up to their rides. Mm-hmm. We started advertising with our visuals, with our colors, with what we look like. It got a lot of people excited. And on that inaugural ride, we had maybe about 70 to 80 people show up. Nice. And, go ahead. I said, nice. That's really yeah. good. That's a good turnout. Um, but you know, nobody was an LCI. We were really winging it. You know, we had ride leads. I had a lot of ideas on how things could go. Mac became, um, some ride support. Other people who were riding bikes at the time became, you know, different support for the ride, but it happens. And we stopped at black businesses along the way. We gave safety talks, you know, we talked about the history and we talked about what we wanted to do and people were really, really excited about it. So I got thrown in to some extent to this like biking culture that I wasn't familiar with at all. Like I was like, I just want to ride bikes, but this is makes sense to me. More black people want to ride bikes. All the black kids who thought they were the only ones riding bikes showed up and they bought their mamas and their cousins too. And um, it showed that there was a need for this kind of space. And I dived into all things red bike and green and it became political and somehow I became a spokesperson <laughs> and I didn't know anything about the politics of streets or just what the bike advocacy culture was. All I could keep saying was, we want to ride bikes. Um, how do we do that in the safest way possible? And I got tokenized for a lot. I got brought in because there weren't a, wasn't a lot of black expertise per se that looked like me. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like there were folks who knew what they were talking about, but they just didn't look like me. So demographically, the people who were asking for me to offer things um, were looking for a younger person or a person that could reach a demographic that hadn't been reached. And I come with a lot of organizing skills, so I know how to bring people together and to get them excited about creating change around something. And I was convinced that change needed to be created around biking. Um, and I think maybe over the years that's changed a little bit, but my identity became as, you know, I'm the black girl who rides bikes. Uh, and that holds a lot of weight. You know, I became very influential in getting more black folks on bikes in, in Atlanta. 
And then also just across the country, um, other RBG chapters wanted to open up. And then nationally folks wanted me to present and talk about what Red Bike and Green was. Um, and so for the last seven years, that's been what I've been doing with biking. And in the midst of that, um, I continued to do long distance bike touring and created an outfitter company that actually prepares people, prepares mostly black folks. And what happens is mostly black queer identified women who show up for those long distance bike tours um, that we take along black geographies. And so I still find my, my way back to bike touring, which I think is really my love. And as my like daily bike riding got politicized, I stopped riding a bike on a daily basis because it just became stressful and it became not fun. The more I had to think and talk about the future of biking for Atlanta, in Atlanta, for Black people, it took the fun out of it. So, you know, fast forward to today, I don't ride as much. And when I do ride, I find it being just really recreational. Um, and it has become, yeah, it's, it is less. And when I say recreational, I mean, like, let me put in 100 miles in a day. Let me do 50 miles. It's not riding around the city to get to a place. Riding around a city to get to a place is most exciting to me. But that fun got taken away. And so just getting on a bike and putting in mileage is like, let me get a job done. Let me get my heart rate up. Let me sweat this issue out. Let me just be one with my bike versus being um, what I call rec or what I call just using it to, to get around in the city to do the things that I love. Um, and when I think about it, I think it's really sad. It's basically I got burnt out and I stopped doing the thing that burnt me out that used to bring me joy and just became a real stress factor for me at the end of the day. Uh, and I keep trying to find my way back to it. And I know it will come, but I've also noticed that like, maybe I also question if red biking green in particular is relevant anymore as I, as other black biking groups have popped up. And again, they're not specifying that they're centering black folks but they're started by, they're black led. And so in that more black people do show up. And because there's more of those groups, I'm just like, I don't know if there's, if red bike and green still serves a purpose. And people would like to tell me they do, but that it does. But with being burnt out, you know, we're, we were, we never filed for nonprofit status. So there were no grants. There was, you know, no money coming down the pipeline to keep the work going, even though, Bike advocacy sees it as a necessity and community sees it as a necessity, but I also wasn't able to create the structure necessary to like get money. And um, I can admit that. I can admit that that might be why Red Bike and Green is not sustainable, has not been sustained in Atlanta. Like there might not be a season next year. And this is, I, I said that every year, but this year I like formally announced that I was not gonna continue to do the work. And it doesn't mean that someone else can't come in and do the work. And it also doesn't mean that the work won't be simplified. We were always looking to kind of expand. So we do community rides and we have flight clubs, but we used to have parties. We used to like stop at so many black businesses. We used to make sure there was a historical context to everything we were doing. And that work wasn't sustainable, but maybe just having a community ride every second Saturday is sustainable. And enough people still show up to those. You know, you get about 25 to 30 people on those rides every month. 
and it becomes an entry point to people. Red Viking Green was like for that person who went on Google and was like, black biking in Atlanta. We come up, they show up, you know, we give them the spiel, they have a good time. And we tell them about all the other biking resources in the city. And um, they, they'll keep coming back to us, but they'll also find their biking home if it isn't us, because we don't ride very often anymore. And um, what I also know though, and it really fills my heart is that people who rode with Red Bike and Green created community. And that's what biking ended up being for me. People have found their tribes through riding bikes with Red Bike and Green. They have found the things that have healed them. They have found purpose. And it might be that they were just riding a bike one day and it became clear to them what their purpose was in their life or in this chapter of their life. So when I look at that, you know, it makes me feel like all the work and the stress that I've experienced has been for a damn good cause. And even for me, from my first bike tour, I left, you know, I left the nonprofit world. I left the work that I know and I have found um, ways to expand myself and found not consistent revenue generator for myself, but I'm able, I have been able to make a little bit of money through um, some of my ventures that have to do with biking. You know, biking has taken me to um, creating convenings for bike advocates um, with the untokening. And you could have never told me that from me riding a bike, I would then be creating a conference for people who are bike advocates. Uh, so it's given me a lot of opportunity and just took me on a path that I would say saved my life and was very timely. Um, and you never think about that when you get on a bike. You're like, I'm just about to ride this bike. And and I and it's I love like telling people biking will change your life. <laughs> and they look at me and I'm like, just wait, get on this bike, keep getting on it, and it will literally change your life. Uh so that's just yeah, that's it in a nutshell. And um I'm excited to see as many black folks that I see on bikes in the city of Atlanta. I'm excited that in a place like Cincinnati, Ohio, there's a new chapter of Red Bike and Green. And the woman out there is really excited about that. And she sees, again, biking as a tool for community change. Um, and I'm even excited about the artistic adventures or artistic ventures that I, that I hope to have with biking. So again, even though I may not ride a bike as consistently as I have in the past, I have created opportunities for making Black folks on bikes very visible. And I, I hope to continue to do that in an artistic way. Um, and I know that bike tours will continue for me and across Black geography. So again, being able to see, be able to one, use your body, but traverse through space and time that has a Black historical context. Um, is really important to me and that's exciting to me as well. That was really awesome. Um, so last week we had Sam as, um, we, we featured Sam for this, for this project um, and she was very inspired by both Red Bike and Green and um, having taken one of your Black Freedom Outfitters tours. Mm -hmm. um, and I was hoping that you could share a bit more about Black Freedom, Black Freedom Outfitters or um, let us know if that's going to continue or if that was just um, a thing of the past or what's going on with that. Cause okay. that was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you still hear me good? Yeah, you're great. Okay. Uh, so Black Freedom Outfitters is still a thing. We definitely took a year off 
um, myself and the uh, other co-founder, Paris Hatcher, just due to life and um, <laughs> needing to care for ourselves. But Black Freedom Outfitters is, um, our mission is to curate unique outdoor adventures that provide a one-of-a-kind experience to explore and lead in the outdoors. And we do that through curated experiences. So whether it's bike touring, hiking, um, those are the two that we, we have done so far, but we look forward to like taking people on kayak adventures or rock climbing. Um, but we wanna, within those experiences, we highlight black geographies that um, are also culturally, political, and social significantly significant to Black folks in the U.S. and abroad. Um, so, with intention, we select destinations that explore the unique outdoor narratives, sites of resistance, and arts and culture of Black people. So, as you said, Sam went on one of our bike tours, and it was called the Gulf Coast Bike Tour, and we went from New Orleans to Africatown, Mississippi. So, highlighting. The Black culture in New Orleans, what has happened post the levees breaking um, with Katrina. And then we ventured down the South to Africatown, Alabama, which 50 years after um, slavery was deemed illegal, a ship from the continent came to Africatown, Alabama. And so, and that place now is a site of severe climate, um, environmental hazards. It's a fishing town. Black people there have cancer without the wazoo because their water has been polluted by a paper mill that only more recently has been closed down. So those were the two geographies that we introduced people to. Is we gave this New Orleans history, and then we gave this Africatown history. And then in between, people were challenged in their bodies um, to get from a, from destination to destination, but you did that within a community. So then it's also building these bonds that are unbreakable. So I've watched Sam's journey and I don't talk to her often, but I'm one of her biggest fans because I know that after that tour, she felt extremely inspired to go forward. And then in meeting you do even more. And I'm just like, I wish I was 10 years younger. Um, and my life, my knees would uh, might praise me for wanting to even think about doing half the things she's done. Um, the other way we Black Freedom Outfitters uh, offers service is we train folks to be sojourner sojourners, which are environmental stewards and outdoor adventure leaders, and so they become the folks that lead our adventures. And we have a few of them, so. Elsie Parks, um, Tavia Parker, and Anna Marie Shreves have, have been women who have supported us either on a bike tour or a hike. And they haven't necessarily received formal training for us, but they have a, a really good understanding of what it's like to survive in the outdoors. Because um, we're not staying in hotels, <laughs> we're cooking our own food. We're um, on our bike tours, we do have a support vehicle because they are entry-level bike tours, but when we're on our backcountry hikes, everything you need is on your back. And when you're riding on these tours, though we have a support vehicle, you are still fully, fully, fully loaded. Um, so our sojourners help us in a number of ways getting through whatever our, our given adventure is. And they themselves end up being participants, and they have the skills to do that, but we also enhance their skills by giving them the leadership to practice in the outdoors. Um, 
So in the future, you know, I'm planning the the, um, adventures for next year. We do them around long holidays. So Memorial Day weekend, Labor Day weekend, Fourth of July weekend. In the past, we've done things around, um, I think it falls on King's weekend, but we've done where we've went from Amelia Island, Florida to, oh, I can't, where Zora Neale Hurston is from. I can't think of the, Eatonville. Is that it? Yeah. And we go to the Zora Neale Hurston Festival on one of our rides. So we do these long weekends so that folks who want to come usually have that have an extra day off. So that's another way we make it accessible. Our price point is extremely low in comparison to any other adventure tour company. Um, I think at max, we've maybe charged $500, which other tour companies are charging at least $2,000 to do very similar activities, mileage-wise, food-wise, gear-wise. And I think the great thing about this is the relationships you build with yourself, because a lot of people come on and they're like, I've never rode a bike more than five miles. I've never (laughs) backcountry hiked more than a mile, if I've ever been in the backcountry, like they've car camped before. So So this is like truly entry, like... I have a bike. Like, what are the minimum requirements to do this? You have to like have a bike, pay for it. What kind of gear? Like, how do you? So, not even having a bike is a requirement. Your oh, oh. desire to do this is the requirement, and oh, your wow. com- your commitment to do it. So, we have a small gear library. We connect people to other gear resources in their community. Um, we borrow things from other people so that. You know, if there's a past participant and they're similar height and they have a bike, we can borrow that bike from them. Um, We do encourage people to get a bike that they can be comfortable on in their training. But if they don't, we've definitely provided bikes before. Not that we've purchased them or anything, but we just figured out how to get you a bike. So the bare minimum is that you are committed to the process of preparing yourself and then ultimately completing a bike tour or a hike. And we create training plans for people. And I will tell you, I think on every tour, anybody who said they were training will admit that they did not train. And we, um, and they struggle, they struggle and they hate themselves and they hate us, but they make it. And (laughs) then they admit, you know, I didn't train at all. And we're like, yeah, no, we know that. And it's not (laughs) safe for us, but that's just the way humans work. And so it's always, they're even more awe-inspired that they were able to do it without training. And I don't advise that at all because it puts, nope. us, at risk. puts us all at risk. It's so much less fun for yeah, everyone and it's involved. Less fun, right? Um, <laughs> but I don't know how we make people train. And then there's some people who take it really, really serious and they go and buy everything brand new or not brand new. They go buy everything they need. They train and they show up and they're ready. And it's a different experience for them versus somebody else. Um, but yeah, we provide a lot of resources because we, resources meaning even checklists. We have multiple phone calls to check in with what your progress is. Do you have what you need? What are your questions or, and concerns? And we believe that this is necessary to helping you feel comfortable with the experience and reminding a person that they're able to do it. We believe when you don't do those things though, it, it, it's not communal. And because a lot of this and the bulk of this is about creating community, together and living as community together, we believe that the more support we provide, 
the more equipped we are to be with each other over that span of time. So yes, it's a bike tour, but it really is, again, another community building opportunity. And then people learn a slew of leadership skills that they weren't expecting, really outdoor skills. Like you learn how to cook outside, you learn how to build a fire, you learn how to set up camp for the first time. And then you also get to look at what your leadership style is. And you take these things back to your, um, your place of work. And we get a slew of insight about how the bike tour helped them be a better manager at work, a better executive director, um, where those, those skills, a variety of skills become transferable. Um, and then a lot of folks take on biking. They become bike commuters or like in Sam's case, you become a badass race, you know, bike racer on gravel doing 200 miles in a day. It takes people a lot of different places and we're grateful for being able to provide an opportunity that lends to more opportunities. Um, and it is honestly, I love red biking green, but black freedom outfitters, uh, gives me a range of activities to offer to black people to show them themselves in the best light. And, and, it, and again, it goes back to my beginning of it being a healing tool. Um, you're outside, you're challenging your body, and then you become committed to yourself in a different way. And I've always said, when you start riding a bike, you know, it's a commitment to yourself, but you see how biking changed your life. So you bring somebody else to bike with you and you become this like you become an advocate to getting more people on bikes because you know how much it's changed your life uh and bike touring and with bright black freedom outfitters it's the same thing people in general can't get enough of it and are really excited by the adventure and i think that's what differentiates black freedom outfitters from things like afro outdoors um and other black outfitter type things is that um we want people to take risk in the outdoors. And when we first started, Black Freedom Outfitters was the only entity that we know that was Black woman-led leading adventures in the outdoors. And I know recently um, Outdoor Afro has hiked Kilimanjaro and things like that. So it's really exciting to see that folks are now creating experiences for people to take risk in the outdoors. Sweet. Um, I think... I think the thing that kind of transcends even just like the black experience or bike experience for people of color is this like idea that community can catapult you to a level that self discovery doesn't always do. Um, but I think specifically for black folks and, and people of color, I think that whole idea of like, how do we get more of us into it or highlight more of us doing it? It's like, community is the thing that is generally missing and it you know depends on your geography of where you live but just seeing how much your beacon as one person has expanded to so many places and inspired so many people it's awesome like it makes me so happy to like see what you've done and like be able to tell other people what you've done and i don't know i think it's really cool and thank you. Thank you. Thank you for those <laughs> kind words. Yeah, no, nah, it's, I'm, I think I'm always shocked when I find out how one experience with whether Red Bike and Green or Black Freedom Outfitters has contributed to somebody just finding a way in that self-discovery. And um, 
it is, it's really exciting. And it was sad to not be able to offer more with Black Freedom Outfitters this year and even more with Red Bike and Green. But I think also it's important, and I know you have this experience in your work, that we we get burnt out. We still get burnt out. Even if it's we're playing outside on a bike, there's still a high demand for what we offer in a variety of ways. And we're still maneuvering the world as Black um, women. And so, uh, yeah, it's good to take a step back and like regroup and next year come back out swinging. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Sweet. So um, if you could share one thing, like pick one thing to share with I guess, aspiring cyclists or people who are already in the community, whatever, what would that be? Mm. I think for aspiring cyclists, just do it. Like, I know it can be hard if you don't have community. I know you can think about what state your bike in is in and you don't know, just do it. Uh, Who, you know, I get why we care if we're the only ones or if we don't see ourselves. I've always been a person to believe that um, start with yourself, you know, start with a mile, start with the bike that you have, start with where you're at. That's respectable. Not starting isn't, is not an option. So just start. And once you've started, just keep going and believe me, you will feel good. And so it won't matter if no, anyone else is around you. Um, but what you will become is an inspiration for somebody else. And at, you know, and I think maybe that's not our goal, but knowing if we're living our best and most authentic lives, that we become inspiration for other people by just our existence, then, hey, keep existing in the exact way that you desire to. Um, it is good for you and then ultimately becomes good for other people. And we deserve to thrive. And I think biking is a way that contributes to us ultimately thriving. Um, mind, body, spirit, community, it just it changes so much and just gives a vast, it expands our lives. Yeah, that's it. It expands our lives. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for your time and your story. And uh, I think that'll do it. Thank you, Aisha. I'm glad I finally got to link up. <laughs> there you go. Alrighty. Bye. Bye. This concludes the fifth audio chapter of Quick Brown Foxes. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to my podcast wherever you get podcasts. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and now Spotify. And consider becoming a patron by going to patreon.com slash a quick brown fox. We'll catch you next time. Bye.